Welcome to Creepy Kentucky. I'm Quinn. And I'm Laura. And is there anything we want to talk about on this 50th episode? <gasps> Woo-hoo! Yeah. Um... I mean, no, I don't no. have anything. <laughs> I mean, no. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I thought I would be uh, uber dramatic, you know, about that. Right. You know. I have to go back from vacation tomorrow. I'm not looking forward to it. Well, yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, are we ready? I'm ready. Okay. I'm excited to know what, you, what you're talking about. So. Um, I have been listening to Sinisterhood a lot lately, mm-hmm. and uh, I got, I put an introduction to this one. Oh. Uh, yeah. So, here's the introduction. A remote manor house, a ghostly nun who walks a garden path, a phantom carriage which vanishes in the blink of an eye. The legend of Borley Rectory is one of the most famous haunted house stories to ever come out of the British Isles. According to skeptics, however, that's exactly what it is. A legend built up and used by the world's first publicity-hungry ghost hunter. But is it just a legend? Or are there kernels of truth in the story? And so I did want to say this is part of our uh, origin stories series and I will probably have to do two episodes of this because a I'm not finished and b it's in I'm on page 23 so oh that's okay yeah it gives me more time (laughs) so it's fine Um, I mean I have part one ready I'm on page like 21 nice (laughs) yay yeah it sounds like a three or four parter but it might be more I'm not even that far into the book yet (laughs) lord like I said, the book is about 673 Oof. pages. Oof. I'm only like 100 yeah. maybe pages in. Yeah. And it does it in nicely. Anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I wanted to also explain that, um, I, you know, in our, our introduction to this podcast, um, I talked about that Scholastic book that is Haunted Houses by Larry Kettlecamp. Right. Yeah. So this was one of the stories in that book, and I've remembered it ever since. Like, I've never forgotten it. Oh. Now, it is way more complicated than he makes it out to be, but as a book aimed at, like, first, second, third graders, you would hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So as a, a little starter... Um, to just to like get to know the place and know how old it is. Uh, Borley as a place on the map has existed um, since at least the 11th century. Oh wow. Yeah. The manor was noted as being owned by someone named Lewin and later in 1086 so this was that was during the 11th century as well uh, but the doomsday book uh, states that the manor was owned by Adeliza Countess of Albemarle who was the half-sister of William the Conqueror oh. and eventually it was owned by Edward the first in 1346 ownership of the manor was transferred to the Priory of Christchurch Canterbury 
um, which is the seat of the Archbishop of Canterbury. Now, the Archbishop of Canterbury now is the leading Anglican cleric in the world, but at that time, this was before Henry VIII uh, divorced and remarried and started his own religion on the back of it. Um, so he could divorce So and he could divorce and remarry, yeah. The uh, Archbishop, he was part of the Catholic Church hierarchy. Okay. And in 1546, Sir Edward Waldegrave, a leading Catholic and courtier to Queen Mary I, uh, purchased the manor. He had been imprisoned during the reign of the Anglican King Edward VI, who was Henry VIII's only son, at least legit. And uh, after the king's death, uh, he was knighted by the Catholic Queen Mary, and at that time he became a member of Parliament, Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster. Uh, however, when the uh, Anglican Queen Elizabeth I came to power, uh, his world kind of collapsed, and he was once again imprisoned in the tower where he died in 1561. Oh my! Yeah. And the house called uh, Borley Place was built in the 1700s, and it was here in 1832 or 1833 that a man named Henry Dawson Ellis Bull was born. He was, yeah, uh, what a name, yeah. Right. He was made rector of the Borley Church as a young man, and in 1862, he began... The building of Borley Rectory. Uh, legend has it that it was built on the foundation of a monastery. However, there is no evidence of a monastery in Borley or a nunnery in Borley or anything in the surrounding area either. Oh, okay. So, Reverend Bull uh, did replace, uh, tear down a Georgian house built for the previous rector, who was whose name was. Reverend Herringham. Now, the Reverend Herringham, Herringham. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he did not live in the rectory. He lived in a cottage nearby. So, he wasn't... Like his, um, yeah. I mean, it was either because it was in bad shape or because it was scary. Well, um, what was the thing from The Haunting of Hill House? Where, like, the caretakers don't live on the ground. Exactly. And they leave after dark. Exactly. Uh, yep. They won't come in the air than that Ex in the night. Exactly. In the dark. Yeah. Wise moves. Yep. Yeah. Um, so there's also evidence of two earlier houses on the grounds as well. And uh, as a side note, the church... Uh, where these men worked has had several renovations, but the earliest part dates from the 1100s. So it's okay. a very old building as well. Very, um, very old. Yeah. Um, the house was originally L-shaped, but as the Reverend Henry Bull's family size increased, he made several additions to the home. Uh, yeah, he had 14 children. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, uh, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I would say you would have to have some minor uh, adjustments. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so by the time it was finished, there were four sides. 
but the fourth side was just a small addition and it didn't actually meet the other yeah, side so okay. it's kind of like there was a little gap you could get through it was not the best design building no doesn't sound like it <laughs> yeah so there were only two doors from the house into this courtyard uh one from the passage between the hall and the kitchen and one from the scullery there was a large lawn to the southeast which narrowed to a point and there's a picture of this side of the house with a badminton net set up and it has several of the Reverend Bull's daughters in the picture. It's very sort of cute if you know if you take it that it's not a haunted house it's a good cute picture. If it's a haunted right. house it just looks creepy. Um, anyway this side of the house featured two large bay windows on the ground floor uh, with a large porch between the two and then some French windows and off to one side of the lawn was an area called the Nun's Walk. Oh. Yeah. And on the other... I really like how that sounds. Yeah. Yeah. On the other side of the lawn was an octagonal pavilion. And at the bottom of the lawn was a small summer house. Uh, part of the garden was believed to be a plague burial pit. Oh. And also, there were rumors of tunnels underneath the area. Um, on the ground floor of the house were a drawing room, a dining room, a study, a sewing room, a kitchen, a servant's hall, a butler's pantry, a larder, a scullery, and several storerooms. And upstairs were 11 bedrooms, a bathroom, a lavatory, and a small chapel was eventually um, created out of a little area over the porch entrance um downstairs there was a basement but not a full one okay. um in the attic was a cistern for collecting water and also a series of bells which would ring to summon the servants and oh, those it was those helpful, do come, I guess. oh yeah and those do come into play a lot <laughs> oh i'm sure yeah um Although it was started in 1863, it wasn't fully finished until 1892. Um, although it was a huge house, it had no electricity, no gas, no um, water supply other than a well. Oh, um, lovely. Yeah. Especially for a big giant house with oh, 14 yeah. kids living yeah, in it. it was great. And one bathroom. Yeah, oh. one bathroom and one partial bathroom. Yeah, no. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's why we invented bathrooms so that we could have plenty of them. Like, yes. In my opinion, anyway. Um, most of the windows had shutters, while the windows of the servants' quarters had bars on them. No escaping servants. Yeah, yeah. Uh, nearby <laughs> there was a stables. And that was turned into a home, which I believe is currently a home. Oh. Yeah. Um, most yeah. horse stables around here, at least, are big enough for yeah. some I'm, of them to live in. Exactly. I mean, yeah. Some of them are bigger than the houses that the people actually do live in. Exactly. 
Yeah, I mean, you drive by and it's like, what's that build, big building? Oh, it's a horse farm barn. It's where the yeah. horses live. That's where the horses live. That's where the horses live. Man, the horses have a bigger house than I do. Yeah, I oh. mean, yeah, they do. Yeah, and it's cleaner, too. I mean, that's embarrassing. Oh, yeah. That's embarrassing for me to admit, <laughs> but it's true. I am not a housekeeper. I am a housekeeper, but I'm not at one at, I'm not one at home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I bet when you're like when you're at home, you're like, man, I'm not cleaning that. I have to clean at work. I'm not cleaning that. I clean all day long. I don't feel like cleaning anymore. I'm no, no. I mean, well, I was gonna say something about what I did, and I wouldn't do it at home either. And you know, and I thought, <laughs> and then I thought better of it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we don't know. <laughs> Oh my god. And my glasses are stuck in my hair again, so that's a problem for future me. Alright. Alright. Um, I don't think it would be a stretch to believe that ghostly phenomenon, or phenomena, sorry, were occurring before Henry Bull started building his rectory in 1862. But... Certainly weird things started occurring as soon as, or very soon after, the bulls moved in. Uh, for example, the octagonal pavilion and the summer house were uh, supposedly, according to the Reverend Bull's daughter, Ethel, they were supposedly built for the purpose of watching the ghostly nun walk along the nun's walk. Oh, oh. Yeah. And, okay. Yeah. And All right, Ethel. I know. <laughs> That's what Ethel says. Hey, I'm not going to, you know. Uh, Ethel once stated that the nun's walk was called that by her brother Harry, but she also at one time stated that it had been called that for years before the Bull family ever arrived there. And the Reverend Henry would supposedly. Now there's. Okay, so there's a Reverend Henry Bull and there's a Harry Bull, and they're two different people. So okay, Henry, Henry and Harry. Yeah, Henry's the dad and Harry's the son. So Okay. Okay. So the Reverend Henry would supposedly spend many hours in the garden, quote unquote, communing communing with the spirits. Oh oh. Yeah. Probably like the drinking kind of spirits. I mean maybe. Maybe both. We don't know. I'm <laughs> not gonna judge. Spirits. I'm not gonna judge. Um yeah. I mean, I can't without being no. really hypocritical. Uh, so the legend was that this nun was an inmate at a nunnery in a place called Bur Burr's or Burris. It was about seven miles away, and she supposedly fell in love with a coachman at Borley. Uh, they wanted to run away, but they were discovered. He was beheaded, which seems like a really you know overreaction yeah uh and she was bricked up alive which also seems like an overreaction but uh, that seems extremely yeah. harsh i don't know i yeah. i, I yeah. don't even know which one's worse. worse i don't either all right yeah they're both pretty bad i um, mean being bricked up alive would take longer yeah yeah being beheaded it'd just be like oh i'm here and, oh i'm not yeah. yeah oh my head's gone oh uh, yeah 
alternately, there was a story that the groom killed the nun and then he was beheaded. However, there's no evidence of any nunnery in the area, like I mentioned earlier. Right. And also, a phantom coach was uh, supposedly seen in the road by the rectory. This was the coach that the nun and her groom were going to use to make their escape. All right. Okay. So, a Mrs. Byford wrote to a paranormal investigator, and she told him that she had been an under nursemaid at Borley Rectory in ninety or eighteen sixty six. Oh my. Um. Yeah. Her grandparents she said would never let her pass the building at night and it was common knowledge in the area that the house was haunted um she'd been there about two weeks when she heard footsteps approach her door at night yet no one knocked her entered and she ended up leaving after a month okay okay so a mr p shaw jeffrey okay um, I don't know what the P stands for. They weren't, they didn't elaborate. Um, it always makes me so mad when we just get a first initial. Yeah. Uh, then you have to make up like, oh, Peter. Peter. Oh, we'll um, call him Peter. Or Paul. Paul. Uh, Papaya. Patrick. Papaya. Yeah. <laughs> Papaya Shaw Jeffrey. He was a friend of Harry Bull. Uh, the, and he stayed at Borley during the long vacations from university. They both were in a college at Oxford. Because, of course, they were. Uh, uh, yeah. He claimed to have experienced uh, several unusual incidents, including stones falling from nowhere, objects moving by themselves, multiple sightings of the nun, and seeing and hearing the coach and horses. Um, he also reported that Harry Bull would tell him about his frequent paranormal experiences. So, in 1892, the Reverend Henry Bull passed away, and he was succeeded by his son, the Reverend Harry Bull. Um, the ghostly sightings continued. Harry Bull, in fact... Uh, used to spend the hours between 10, 10 p.m. and 3 a.m. in the summer house facing the nun's walk. He uh, could... Let's see, what did I write? Oh, he could, quote, he could hail a specter as easily as most people could hail a friend, according to one person that knew him. And he had ghostly experiences at other houses as well. Oh! Um... So there was also... And he I thought, might have been a sensitive. Oh, yeah. It sounds like he and his dad maybe both were. Yeah. I mean, it's possible, I suppose. Um, I mean, you always think of women being it, but, you know, men can be sensitive as well. Sensitive. Yeah. Men can be sensitive, too. Yeah. It's not just women. Yeah. Well, there was also, and I forgot to write this down because it wasn't mentioned in the book, but I had read somewhere else where one of the two men, and, it, and I can't remember which one, but they had bricked up one of the dining room windows because, and the rumor was that they had gotten tired of the nun coming up to the window and watching them eat. Oh. Yeah. That's creepy. Yeah. I would... I uh, block up the window too. Yeah, I don't want any nuns watching me eat. No, oh, especially God, no. ghost nuns. No, I mean I don't want like I get, 
I get weirded out when living people watch me. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want some dead chick walking yeah, up really. and just staring at me while I eat. Especially one, like, ugh, I don't know. Especially uh, through a window. Yeah, really. Ooh. Like, that's even creepier to me. Yeah. She's like, I want some chicken, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that pudding looks so good. I wish I could eat it. But I'm not, cause I, but I can't, because I'm a ghost. I'm a ghost. I, I'm a ghost. <laughs> I can't eat. I can't. I can't. <laughs> it just falls straight to the ground. Just falls straight to the ground. It goes like in Casper. Yes. Oh no. <laughs> That's exactly what they remind me of. When they were all eating in Casper and the food was just falling right on the floor. <laughs> or a Slimer. Exactly. My goal is to work a Ghostbusters reference into every episode now. And I'm two for two since I started it. Hell yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, So, in 1900, four of the sisters, or daughters, well, daughters of Henry Bull, sisters of Harry Bull, witnessed the nun at the same time. Uh, three of the sisters, they were Ethel, Frida, and Mabel. And if those aren't Victorian names, I don't know what are. Um, oh, yeah. Were returning from a small party on July 28th. Um, so when they entered the gate and they started walking up the driveway, they saw the figure of a nun with her head bowed walking along the nun's walk. Um, one of the girls ran inside to get their sister Carolyn, Caroline. Um, she believed at first that it was just someone collecting for charity and there was a group called the Sisters of Mercy and they would collect, they were Catholic nuns collecting for charity. Okay. Um, and so she went towards... Like, what kind of nun would be out there walking around their head bowed asking for money? Does not make any sense, Caroline? Yeah, apparently. But there was a group that did that. Sense. Yeah, because there's like, they mentioned it somewhere else too. Um, anyway, so Caroline walked toward the figure to see if she could help, and when she was within a few yards of it, the figure figure completely vanished. Oh, yeah, that's like Caroline. That's a no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Ethel Bull also saw the nun leaning over a gate. A few months later, uh, the rectory cook saw it, and uh, at the same time. And a cousin who was staying at the rectory reported seeing the nun leaning over the gate as well. Why would he be leaning over a gate? I don't know. It was like leaning over the picture that I saw that someone illustrated of it was like it was leaning over the gate like head bowed in prayer almost. Really like prayerful looking. That's strange. Yeah. Um, so Edward Cooper and his wife lived in the rectory cottage from 1916 to 1920. Um, this cottage was attached to the stables and Edward was employed as a groom and a gardener. Um, so they had not been living in the cottage for very long when Cooper asked his wife if she ever heard voices or sounds like a dog walking around in the attic. So, Mrs. Cooper suggested that he might be hearing rodents in the house. So, the couple 
she's the scully he's the molder because he believes everything and she's like no it's rodents um it's just mice. It's just mice. Uh, so the couple checked the attic but found absolutely no signs of vermin anywhere. Uh, then Mrs. Cooper so heard... it's not a mouse. It's not a mouse, Scully. Uh, then Mrs. Cooper heard rapping sounds from overhead, which she could not explain. And she finally began to believe that something odd was happening in the cottage. <coughs> Wait, laughing or lapping? What? Where? That they heard. Rapping. R A P P. Like, rapping. You know, gotcha. Yeah. I missed her. Like, Dr. I was like, rapping. Dr. Sounds like a dog <laughs> I was, was going to say, like, <laughs> Dr. Dre, but I mean, <laughs> not quite. <laughs> not quite like Dr. Dre, but, you know, <laughs> rapping. Uh, okay. So one evening, Cooper asked his wife if she'd ever seen a sister of mercy in the area and when his wife said no cooper told her he'd just seen a nun walking around um he'd seen her walking from the back of the rectory toward the road he followed her but at one point she'd simply vanished um although they couldn't explain her disappearance the coopers believed her to be a visitor to the rectory since she appeared to be real and solid and one night, Cooper claimed to have seen the phantom coach. He looked out of his bedroom window and saw an old-fashioned uh, coach with horses and two headlamps, which reflected the harness in the horses. And, however, he heard absolutely no sound. The vision was gone by the time his wife came to the window in response to his call. They had other experiences in their cottage, including crashing sounds, and they once saw, or they saw a black shape moving around inside. Oh. Yeah. Uh, a journeyman carpenter uh, named Fred Cartwright told an investigator that he'd seen the nun four times in a week, each time leaning against the rectory gate as he walked to a job in the area in the early morning hours. And thereafter, whenever he would walk through the village, he would look for her, but he never saw her again. Uh-oh. Yeah. Harry Bull himself also had several odd experiences. Um, one afternoon, he was outside with his dog when the animals started howling and cowering in fear. Um, yeah. When Harry looked in the direction of the dog's gaze, he saw a pair of legs, and the rest of the body was hidden by the branches of fruit bushes. Suddenly, the figure moved into the open, and he saw a headless man. Ah, uh -huh, so that's where the story that the guy got his head chopped off came from, I yeah. think. Yeah. And he also claimed to have seen a little old man in the middle of the lawn. The man's features resembled those of one of the old gardeners at the house. And when Harry approached him, he vanished. That's why I think when you say he's a sensitive, like, that's, yeah, he is. Because he's seeing things that other people aren't. Right. Even. So, Harry uh, said he'd seen the Phantom Coach on one occasion. He had driven by a headless coachman. On another occasion, he heard the clattering and clopping of hooves and a harness and harnesses.
coming down the road toward him. He stepped aside. The noise passed him, but he never saw anything. Um, he talked freely to friends and neighbors about his ghostly experiences. And he told several people about seeing the nun. And he told one man that the nun once had followed him from the churchyard to the rectory front door, which is a no for me. Yeah, no, uh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, Mr. J. Hartley, who was a friend of Harry Bull, told one investigator that one night he was uh, awakened in the rectory by a loud peal of the servants' bells. Um, he was joined in the corridor by Harry Bull, who was very distressed because he regarded the bells ringing as a bad omen. And Harry also told Mr. Hartley that if, after his death, he didn't like any of the future incumbents. He would throw mothballs at them. <laughs> I mean, if that's the worst he does. Um, so Har Harley claimed that he often had the feeling of being watched and followed in the rectory, but not in a vicious way. It was more in a curious type of way. Kind of like, who was this guy doing? Yeah. Maybe yes, sir. Yeah. Really? No, we're here. Yeah. What's his deal? Yeah. Who is this weirdo? Uh, between 1924 and 1927, a Mrs. Newton lived in the rectory. She was like a housekeeper. Um, her bedroom had two doors, one giving on to the bathroom passage and one leading to what was called the pair room which was where fruit was often kept and if, like the doors like the bedrooms opened onto other bedrooms instead of actually having a hallway it was not a well-designed building so no it doesn't sound like it no oh see someone agrees with me see yeah there's some angry dogs yeah um at night, she would lock both doors before going to sleep, but in the mornings, she would almost invariably find the door to the pair room unlocked and standing wide open. And she had been in the habit of leaving the keys in the locks, and taking the keys out of the locks was the only way that the door unlocking stopped. Well, I'm glad that actually stopped it. Yeah. Because with any other story, I feel like... They would still open even if yeah, the really. keys were out of the locks. Exactly. I mean, yeah. that's when you move rooms. That's when you're like, yeah. I'm not sleeping here anymore. Um, <laughs> and I'm done. And I'm done with this. Yeah. I'm out of here. Yeah. Uh, there was widespread disagreement, believe it or not, within the Bull family itself about whether the hauntings were real or not. Well, of course. Yeah. Reverend I don't think Caroline believes. She <laughs> no. does now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Reverend and Mrs. Bull. She <laughs> disappeared in front yeah. of her face. Yeah. <laughs> she, they supposedly never mentioned the hauntings to their children, despite obviously building structures specifically for the viewing <laughs> of these events. Um, while obviously some of the Bull children had experiences, others claimed to have had none. Uh, one son named Walter claimed to have heard footsteps follow him at least 50 times in the lane outside the rectory. However, when he was asked if he'd ever experienced anything in the rectory, he said no. Oh. 
another son, Gerald, called Sightings of the Nun, uh, a figment of feminine imagination, despite how many men had claimed to see her, even wow. ones from his own family. Um, okay. But it was definitely during the Bull family years that the house began to be called the most haunted house in England. So, in 1927, sadly, the Reverend Harry Bull passed away. Aww. The uh, living, and that was what the, 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 um, incumbency of, like, the, the vicar there, the living at Borley was offered to at least 12 ministers who all turned it down. I don't want to live there. Uh, no, they were all correct. Um, yeah, so finally, after 16 months of searching, uh, the Reverend Guy Eric Smith and his wife Mabel took up residence in the rectory. So, although... Reverend Mabel. Yeah, Mabel. Mabel. Although he was skeptical, I should have done this in an English accent. That just really occurred to me. Um, although skeptical about hauntings, the Smiths and their staff began to experience odd occurrences. Um, they heard voices, often whispering, but on one occasion they heard a female voice say, Don't, Carlos, don't. Carlos? Yeah, that's, yeah, Carlos, yeah. Okay, um, that's very interesting. They heard the servants' bells ring, just like people had heard during the Bulls era. Uh, slow and deliberate footsteps paced the passages and upper rooms. Uh, two successive maids saw apparitions. The nun was seen walking on her usual path and was seen to disappear at the bottom of the garden. Uh, an upper window would light up without any explanation, which Mabel Smith would point out to neighbors. Uh, a figure was seen leaning on the gate to the drive, but no one was found. Uh, one of the maids claimed to have seen the phantom coach. Keys would fly out of locks. And yeah. a vase from an upstairs window was found smashed at the foot of the stairs. Oh. So, the Smiths wrote a letter to one of the national newspapers, the Daily Mirror which is still being published. Right. And they also wrote to a distinguished paranormal investigator, Lord Charles Hope. Um, the Mirror sent a reporter, V.G. Uh, Wall, down to investigate. He wrote an article which was published on the 10th of June, 1929. Uh, meanwhile, the Daily Mirror also got in touch with a man named Harry Price, who was a ghost hunter, whose life became intimately entwined with the haunting of Borley Rectory. Oh! So, Harry Price uh, was, in some respects, the Zach Bagans of oh, early 20th yeah. century Coast Center. Um, Hopefully he was a little bit better than uh, Zachy Poo. Yeah. Um, the, I'll tell you, you need to go to reddit back the reddit subreddit for ghost adventures oh my god um yeah you'll, yeah. you'll enjoy it just i'm just gonna oh throw it out there um, okay Harry i Price, will check that out when we're done yeah well one of the biggest complaints that they've gotten now 
is that all they're doing is stuff on the west coast because zach won't fly anymore oh he won't yeah apparently he had a really bad experience with some turbulence like really bad and he just won't fly anymore so they all have to go places where they can drive to oh good lord yeah come on zach yeah don't be a bitch <laughs> too late now <laughs> Um, Harry Price was in many ways the Zach Vagans. Okay. He'd been born in London in 1881. He went to a, a school called, oh my God. He went to a school called Haberdasher's Asks Hatcham School for Boys. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Anyway, um, so at age 15, he founded the Carlton Dramatic Society, and it is now known as the Carlton Theater Group, still performs in the Wimbledon area. Oh. Yeah. Um, so he's dramatic. So he's dramatic, yeah. He, but it automatically makes him pretty much like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he had interests in coin collecting and archaeology, and he seems to combine these a few times to create some... To create some relics, quote-unquote. Uh, okay. Yeah. He also grew to be fascinated by magic and even became a magician, joining the magic circle in 1922. Um, oh. Because he was so good at sleight-of-hand uh, tricks, he became an expert at exposing fraudulent mediums. Oh, okay. Like, and, yeah. like Harry Houdini. Yeah. And also, uh, he was at one point a member of the Society for Psychical Research. Uh, and, uh, okay. Yeah. The, the prestigious paranormal association in the UK. Uh, right. At some point, he and they had a falling out. And he left to start the National Laboratory of Psychical Research. Um, and as part of the SPR... And of his own society later, he often investigated reports of ghostly phenomena. So, on June 10th, uh, the first article uh, was published in the Daily Mirror. So, two days later, Harry Price in visited the rectory and spoke to several witnesses. Um, he spoke to Reverend Smith and his wife. He spoke to Ethel Bull and her sister. He spoke to Mary Pearson, who was a maid at the rectory, and he spoke to the Coopers, who lived in that cottage. Um, okay. Yeah. So, on that occasion uh, of the first visit of Harry Price, two of the Bull sisters came to the rectory, and the people there decided to have a seance in the blue room, because of course they did. Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. After asking for a sign, raps were heard coming from a mirror on a dressing table. And soon everyone was sitting around this mirror and through a code of rapping, like Jay, you know, well, Jay-Z's more hip-hop. Uh, I was going <laughs> to uh, through a code of rapping, doc, like Dr. Dre, it uh, emerged that the spirit communicating with them was actually that of Harry Bull himself and he said he made noises in the house to get attention and answered questions that only he could know um, the answers to yo yo 
I'm Harry Boyle. <laughs> Making these noises to get attention. <laughs> that was my, uh, that was the rap. That was the Harry Boyle rap. If you got any questions, you know, I'm just free gonna say, I'm just going to say you're giving Zach Fagan's ideas he doesn't need. Okay? Oh, God. Some more music. <laughs> <laughs> right, he's he's I'll never forget where I was. <laughs> uh, and the one time we thought it was good was oh, it, oh this is oh this is this is uh yeah, this is Bobby Mackey. Oh, Bobby here. Mackey. Oh, yeah. Good. yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, they brought poor Bobby Mackey into yeah. this. Poor Bobby Mackey. So anyway. Yeah, poor Bobby Mackey. <laughs> if we've learned nothing, poor Bobby Mackey. Uh, the Smiths later claimed that the mirror was, quote, alive even after they left Borley because it continued to produce raps and knocks. Ooh. Yeah, it would drop a joint. It would drop a, what, the, what is the word? Yeah, okay. Anyway, <laughs> around that time, several small objects appeared inside the rectory with the Smiths having no idea how they got there. They included keys, pebbles, and some Catholic medals. Oh. Um, yeah. On July 14th, uh, 1929, the Smiths moved out of Borley Rectory, claiming that the house was too large and too primitive. Okay. Which, I mean, fair. Um, yeah. After the Smiths left, the rectory remained empty for about six months. Um, and on October 16th, 1930, the Reverend Lionel Algernon Foister, yeah, that was <laughs> really, Algernon, that was his name, who happened to be related to the Bull family through Reverend Henry Bull's wife, moved in, having been appointed to the living at Borley. Uh, the Foisters lived there for five years, and during that time, the hauntings reached a peak of intensity and variety. Oh. Yeah. In September 1931, some of the Bull sisters visited Harry Price in London to urge him to revisit Borley. They also spoke to their cousin Lionel, apparently, because Price got a letter inviting him to come to the rectory. Um, so Lionel also got a visit from the president of the Society for Psychical Research telling him that if he absolutely had to have Harry Price in his home, then he, the reverend, should get Price to sign a statement against any form of publicity. Um, so Price visited the rectory on October 13, 1931, along with three ladies and a chauffeur. Two of the ladies were both on the Council of Price's Paranormal Society, the National Laboratory of Psychical Research. So, this first visit was quite cordial. Price wrote that he found the Reverend delightful, much-traveled, and cultured, and his wife was bright, vivacious, and intelligent. They also, yeah, they also had two children at the house, Adelaide, who was a three-and-a-half-year-old girl, and a boy of similar age who was staying there. Uh, a very young maid, who was 14 or 15, was living there also. Um, on this first visit to the Foisters, Price and his companion had a long interview with the Foisters, and they walked around the house. Uh, Price noticed that several improvements had been made to the house. Then the group went downstairs for dinner. 
In addition to what the foisters had to offer, one of the lady visitors had brought like a fancy picnic camper with her. And this All right. yeah, and this picnic camper included two bottles of wine. So Price pulled the corks on both the bottles and handed one to Marianne Foister, and when she poured it out, the first glass of wine turned into black ink. And, what? Yeah. And the other bottle's wine, when poured out, smelled like cologne. Oh, I was going to hope they smelled like mothballs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. That'd been awesome. Uh, Price considered the episode a trick pulled by the Foisters, which offended them. Uh, Mabel Smith claimed that it happened while she and her husband Guy Eric were living there. Uh, Price, of course, was a talented sleight of hand artist, so it could have been him. Then why would he point it out as a hoax? Right. So soon after this, Marianne Foister claimed she felt unwell. And she was helped to bed. And as the party continued to look around the rectory, they heard a crash and found an empty claret bottle had broken against an iron stove in the hallway. So the group rushed upstairs to find Marianne's, quote, snug in bed. She had heard the crash and wondered what happened. Uh, the upstairs rooms were examined, but nothing was out of order. So the party then went back downstairs, only to hear servants' bells ringing as small pebbles rained down the staircase. Uh, next, the party heard the voice of Marianne yelling down at them that she was stuck in her bedroom, claiming that both doors had locked themselves one after another. Uh, the keys to these rooms had disappeared earlier. Um, Reverend Foister had a relic of a French priest who'd been canonized in 1925. So I assume that's a bone from this French priest. Anyway, he carried it right. around. I don't okay. know. Yeah. That's anyway, whatever it was, he carried it around. I know that some relics of like saints are actual pieces of their bones and stuff so it's weird yeah. yeah so anyway he knelt on one side of the door while Marianne knelt on the other side the whole party joined in reciting prayers and suddenly the door unlocked and soon another glass object threw down the stair flew down the stairs and broke against the iron stove so at this point Price and his party went back to their hotel room on discussing the evening, they realized that most of the incidents had occurred when Marianne was out of sight. Right. However, many of the things that happened were things that had been reported before, like the bells ringing, that kind of thing. So, they decided to go to the rectory the next day and tell the Foisters about their concern. Uh, when confronted with the party's doubts, Marianne denied being the agent behind the events of the previous night. Um, Foister suggested that the party come back that night, which, which they did. Uh, only one strange thing happened. They heard a bell ringing coming from the little girl's room. 
so the party immediately went to that room and found the girl awake. Uh, Price noted that the bell pole in that room was broken off close to the ceiling, and he doubted that the little girl could have reached it. And this was the last visit Harry Price made to Borley Rectory for some considerable time. And that's where I'm going to stop. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> this is good. Thanks. I'm enjoying it. I'm liking it. this. I like old-timey yeah. castle ghost stories. Yeah. Yeah. Well. There's some reason for doubting that this might be a ghost story. We'll have to see. Oh, <laughs> yeah, but maybe not. Hey, ah, oh, okay. That's good. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Do we want to talk about our email? Yeah, it's creepy Kentucky at gmail dot com, and our tweet pair and Instagram. At Creepy Kentucky. Uh, feel free to leave us a review. Yeah. On Apple. Uh, that's about the only one you can leave reviews yeah. on right now. A nice one, please. Yes. <laughs> I mean, we know we suck sometimes, but, you know, we try. We do our best. <laughs> we try really hard not to suck 24-7, okay? <laughs> and, let's see, do we want to... Do instead of creepy Kentucky, do we or instead of Kentucky, what the hell do we want to do? Borley Rectory, what the hell? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, one, two, three. Borley Rectory, Rectory. what the the hell? hell?